So, Matt, what kind of pants does Mario wear? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. Denim, denim, denim. <laughs> I was waiting for the other part of it to go. <laughs> the rest of the song. <laughs> I got nothing else. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good. I like that one. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. Right, everybody. How you doing tonight, Matt? Hey, I'm good, man. Uh, been a, it's been a it's been a crazy week. Yeah, I was gonna say that it's been kind of weird. And listen, I gotta say this. So, some some weird stuff ha- has been happening. You know, I I told you, I don't know, a couple weeks ago that I had stuff falling off of my walls. Yeah, that that is continuing to happen. Okay. And, no kidding. And tonight, before we started recording, I did a Facebook Live thing. And right before I'm going on, all kinds of crap is going haywire. Stuff that never happens. The keyboard is like doing this weird stuff. And the mouse is like traveling. The cursor's all over the screen. My light like just falls off, hits the floor batteries going out and i'm like what is going on really i mean wow we've been, we've been doing this now for a couple of months and i don't have any of these problems yeah. but i was like all of a sudden <laughs> for the last i don't know three four weeks crap just keeps maybe it's me maybe stuff is just I, I'm I'm just not putting stuff up well enough and it's just falling off at the same time <laughs> i don't know it's weird Maybe it's October. You might need to sage your house. I might go through and sage everything. Whew. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I just picked up a new sage stick myself. So, well, I've got I've got that smudge spray. I think I'm gonna have to dig it out. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that would help. Just smudge spray everything in the uh, in the graveyard there. Yeah, yeah. I need to do something. I may need I may need a, an old priest and a young priest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pocket full of holy water. Uh huh. Isn't that a uh, isn't that a song? What po- uh, pocket full of holy pocket water? Full of. <laughs> yeah. No wait, that's kryptonite. Never mind. <laughs> pocket full of holy so, water. I was like, I missed that one. <laughs> no, you no, no. You know, the, just, you know the line. This I'm, is this is this is a precursor to what we're talking about tonight. But you know the line, right? The I need an uh, an old priest and a young priest, right? You know that from the movie. Yeah. So I love I love that line and the reason I love that line is because it's in uh it's in one of the Austin Power movies where uh Dr. Evil's chair starts wigging out and it's flipping him around and he's like smacking it. He's like, What is wrong with this? And he's like, The power of Christ compels you. I need an old priest and a young <laughs> priest and he's just smacking his chair. <laughs> I love it. That's right, I forgot about that. <laughs> Until you said it, I forgot about it. <laughs> oh man, we're we're just we're just getting off a tangent. 
you had some stuff you needed to talk about and I've stomped all over it. So let's get into that. (laughs) All right. Well, first, we wanted to thank tonight's sponsor, Care Of. Uh, We really appreciate them and we think highly of what they do. And we think you guys should check them out. We'll talk a little bit more about them later. Um, Also, we wanted to thank Sarah for sending us a skull decoration to our P.O. box. Um, That's really cool. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's Um, awesome. And if anybody is thinking about sending us anything, uh, we will be changing our P.O. box pretty soon to a Texas P.O. box. So uh, message us or something like that. If you're going to send us something, message us just to see if we have done the switch over yet or not, because we'll mention it on the show. But you know, we may get it before we mention it on the show. Yeah. So if you, um, so if just you send us, us up, let us know, send us some baked goods and you send it to the wrong one. Um, they may sit there and we get a nice letter from the post office saying your, your PO box over here stinks. <laughs> Something's yeah, right. rotten in there. I'm standing over there going, I don't have a key. I'm sorry. I can't get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it smells like moldy bread. We yeah. don't know why, but. All right, so Matt, that's all I've got for the intro, so why don't you tell us what we're talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight, as you may have guessed uh, from my comments earlier, we are going to discuss demonic possession. So, dum, dum, dum. <laughs> so this is a, it's a good topic to roll into as we're uh, cruising towards Halloween at warp speed. Um. You know yep. this. This has always this been is something. A busy time of year. Yeah, it, this has always been something that that terrified me as a child, because uh, I mm-hmm. I uh, I I watched The Exorcist at, at a much too young and too impressionable age. I think I was probably eight, um, and and managed to watch and and watched like an edited version of it that was on regular television. And it still absolutely scared the daylights out of me. Um, but it, it is it always has been something, you know, the the worst scary movies to me have always been about demons and possession. Yep, I'm with you. You know, the slasher hacker movies, whatever. I could take them or leave them. Um, I like the thriller, you know, kinds. But these movies about about demons and possession They've they've always scared me. So, you know, this is yep. this is a topic. You know, I, I I left I left the lights on outside between the the graveyard east and the house, so I don't have to walk <laughs> back to the house in the dark, knowing what I was going to talk about tonight. So, right, I understand, man. I'm uh, the I don't know if you can tell, but on my end, the graveyard is a lot brighter than it normally is. <laughs> I've got the lights fully up, so. And I had to probably light the sage in the background uh-huh. too. And if you see me yeah. get up, uh, I'm going to grab the smudge yeah, stick. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we we need to talk a little bit about possessions and exorcisms and stuff like that. And we did an episode where Matt talked about exorcisms before, so we're not going to get totally into exorcisms. You can go back and listen to that episode if you would like. But it does tie in to demonic possession so we will touch on it some so the word exorcism actually derives from the greek word for oath which is exousia 
Um, I Google pronounced that, so I hope they told me that was told me that correctly. But I, I think you did a good job on that one. Well, thank you. I got a little tongue tied and scared before I said that <laughs> word, but I think I pulled it off okay. Um, <laughs> so. What do people define demonic possession as? Well, demonic possession is where individuals are supposed to be possessed by a malevolent preternatural being commonly referred to as demons or devils. And we we won't touch on it too much in this episode, but there are possessions that are not demonic that people believe a good spirit will actually come and you know, possess your body and, and help you out. But what we're going to be talking about tonight, because it's more fun, is the demonic and scary versions of this. Right. And, you know, in the exorcism uh, episode, we talked about, um, you know, houses being possessed or objects being possessed. And we even talked about when we uh, when we discussed uh, the Dybbuk, you know, that a, that a Dybbuk. Yeah could could possess you but but tonight like adam said we want to focus more on this idea of of demonic possession that that really seems to be you know the the one that most people are familiar with you know regardless of your religious background or upbringing you know when somebody says demonic possession you already kind of have an idea of what you think about it so maybe maybe we'll uh, we'll sway that idea a little bit tonight. Maybe we won't, um, but we we're gonna give you some stuff to chew on. So yeah, it's gonna be a fun one, I do believe. Um, now symptoms of demonic possession commonly claimed by believers include like erased memories or personalities um, changing, or you know just your personality being completely gone. Um, convulsions that are kind of like epileptic seizures or what some people would call fits, um, fainting as if you were dying. They say it, it's almost like, you know, like we talked about before, the the out-of-body experiences, it's almost like your body is remaining and you have left it um, type of fainting. They said it's also worth noting that a lot of demonic possessions um, have individuals who displayed sporadic hand movements as if they were like playing a piano or, you know, going into a rigor type state where their hands are moving uncontrollably. And keep all of this in mind as we get toward the end of the episode, because we're going to talk about some theories and some other stuff for that. But some some little tidbits that I found about possessions was the Vatican first issued official guidelines on exorcisms in 1614. Now, that was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but, you know, in the grand scheme of humanity, it took a long time to get to official guidelines for exercising a demonic spirit. Um, so there were many thousands of years before they got around to that. Well, they didn't revise these official guidelines until 1999. Yeah. So again, there was a long time, you know, there was 300 plus years in there where they kept the official guidelines and how to handle it in place. Now, according to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, signs of demonic possessions include superhuman strength, 
aversion to holy water, and the ability to speak in unknown languages. So that's not necessarily languages that are unknown to everybody, but languages that are unknown to you. Um, where if you've right. never, you know, been to Germany and and have never spoken German, now all of a sudden you can speak German. It's you know apparently there is some sign of demonic possession in that. Uh, other potential signs of demonic possession include spitting, cursing, and I'm going to edit this excessive self pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that too. Um, <clears throat> So I'm not going to comment. <laughs> right. All I'll say is it's either demonic possession or a teenage boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It all depends on your uh, definition of excessive. <laughs> yeah, right. In 2013, the Roman Catholic Church announced that they were training up a, quote, new army of exorcists to meet the growing demand for experts to rid people of evil spirits. Now, the church at that point claimed that the unprecedented rise in requests for exorcisms come from more people dabbling in the, quote, dark arts with the help of information found on the Internet. Now, I have my own theories, but, you know, they're blaming the Internet. But if we look at what they, you know, that, that people consider to be dark arts, that's not a new thing. Oh, no. Um, I think uh, I think what they're seeing is like we've talked about before. It's not necessarily a rise in anything, a rise in violence or a rise in um, demonic possession. It's just that they're hearing more about it because we have the ability to communicate it better. True. And I would agree with that. But I I do kind of see their point in that the information of ancient texts that describe, you know, ways to really dig into the occult or dark arts, as you said, are much more available. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think 50 years ago, you know, your your only option would be to to try to locate books that had this information in it. Sure. And chances are your local public library didn't have them. That's true. And you know, if it's a if it's some ancient text or if it's some text from the 16-1700s, you're most likely not going to find it because you're not going to be able to walk into your you know, books a million or your Barnes and Noble and, and find it. I mean, you, you might, I mean, you might find something, but I don't know. I don't know if 50 years ago you would have found it. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's like, well, this is the seven, 1700, 1700th edition paperback of, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, your know, spell book, you know, that you're looking at. I'm like, So I think, but those texts have been, um, they've been published online. You can actually go and sometimes, some cases you can actually view the physical pages where they've been photographed and then uploaded. Um, so, you know, I see their point. I, I, I don't know that you can just blame the internet. I think technology as a whole makes everything more accessible. So 
the communication about these events are is more open. You know, more people are able to be reached if something like this were to happen. Um, but in the same respect, the um, the ability to to research and find out about this stuff is much easier now too. So right, right, and that I mean that makes sense. You know, um, like you said, they've got scanned copies of all these ancient books, and so people may be dabbling more into stuff that they are unaware of the consequences. Like we've talked with Ouija boards and all that other stuff. If you dabble, you get yourself in trouble. A few of the other things they say to watch out for as far as possession goes and signs of it is the uncontrollable shaking. And then this is from the Vatican here, vomiting nails, pieces of metal and shards of glass. Yikes. Um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. Yeah. So I guess if it gets real bad, then you start vomiting, you know, metal nails and glass and that, that's rough. You know, something's wrong if that's the case, because that's not normal. Yeah. Cause if somebody did that, it was like, man, you went a long way to, to hoax somebody to eat a bunch of nails and right? glass. No kidding. No kidding. You're risking your life just for a hoax it's kind of crazy you know statements like that always make me stop and think that it's the reason why preparation h says do not take by mouth because it's happened sure and now we have to address it right so if if they're saying that this is part of it that means at some point along the lines this was experienced, and and I'm guessing probably more than once. If it if it happens one time, you go, oh, it's a neat trick. You know, if it's happening mm-hmm. multiple times, you're going, okay, I see a trend. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. It's like, this, this kid's possessed by a roofer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turned himself into a nail gun. Human nail gun. So, according to... Catholic priests, they say you must undergo the official Catholic rite of exorcism, which involves a consecrated priest invoking the name of God as well as various saints and the archangel Michael to cast out their demons. So basically, this ties back into the definition of the word exorcism because you basically take an oath with God and the archangel Michael to rid yourself of this possessing entity. Um, But it's not just the Catholic Church that has stories of possession and of ways of exercising and all that. You know, this custom dates back thousands and thousands of years through almost every religion that you see. Um, In ancient Mesopotamia, it was believed that all forms of sickness came from powerful spirits entering a person's body and attaching to that person. There are Assyrian tablets that make reference to the use of incantations and prayers to gods, as well as direct challenges to the demons, which were believed to inflict every type of disease, both physical and psychological. Um, So the ancient Babylonian priests performed rituals that included destroying a clay or wax image of a demon. Now, also in the Hindu religion, 
the ancient text known as the Vedas. And I think we've touched on Mm -hmm. the Vedas before just in passing. Um, Well, they were composed around 1000 BC and they refer to evil beings that interfere in the work of Hindu gods and they harm the living. So again, we've got a mention of possessions. Now accounts from ancient Persia that date back to around 600 BC, they offer some evidence of exorcism using prayer, ritual, and holy water by the religious leader Zoroaster, who was considered to be the first magician. And I feel like we've touched on him before in an episode. If not, Matt, you and I have just we've just mentioned talked about him, him in conversation. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was on mic or not. Um, now, as we talked. Um, In Christianity, there are many references to Jesus performing exorcisms, and he had the ability to cast out evil spirits. And, you know, you having that ability was a sign of true discipline. Um, You know, in one well-known story, Jesus encountered a madman and commanded that the foul spirits leave him, and the spirits then entered into a herd of pigs Mm -hmm. and ran over a cliff and drowned in the waters. I think... You know, many people have heard that story. Right. Um, Now, in the Middle Ages, which, you know, around 500 to 1500 AD, um, people saw kind of this revival of some of the ancient superstitions and demonology. um, And mental illness during that time was seen to be the result of some type of evil spirit possessing them. Uh, You know, the bar, there was barbaric treatment of mental patients at the time. And it was usually left up to the clergy to exercise these patients through a variety of techniques, you know, physical pain, whipping, all sorts of nasty, nasty stuff. Yeah. They, they're going to beat it out of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when we talk a little bit about the mental illness versus, a, a possession, it kind of reminds me of, of the conversation that Scott and Forrest of Astonishing Legends had on their episode, The Devil and Annalise Michelle, you know, and they discussed whether her situation was truly a possession or a mental disorder and was it the correct path to take or not. Now, if you guys out there have not heard that episode and don't know anything about Annalise Michelle, Matt is going to tell us about her. So, now, as a lot of you probably already know, the case of Annalise Michelle served as the basis for the 2000 film The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I think mo- most horror fans have seen this movie, but her story is one of the most famous cases of demonic possession to date. But as Adam mentioned, there are many who feel like it was a mental illness and not a demon to blame for her situation. Now, Annalise was born in 1952 in West Germany to Joseph and Anna Michelle. She grew up in a Roman Catholic family, and Annalise was quite religious and attended Mass regularly twice a week. Now, at age 16, however, things began to change. Annalise suffered a severe convulsion and was subsequently diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. Now, Annalise would eventually be admitted to a psychiatric hospital where her seizures would continue, 
leading her to be prescribed anticonvulsant medications. Now, she did not improve on these medications and reportedly began to see devil faces throughout the day. Now, she was diagnosed with depression and was considered suicidal at this point. Now, she reported having hallucinations during her prayers and stated that she would hear voices telling her that she was damned and would rot in hell. Now, despite five years of treatment, Annalise's condition never improved and it only worsened. Annalise became intolerant of religious places and symbols, namely the crucifix. Now, during a trip, a trip to uh, send, I'm going to mess this up. I know I am. <laughs> San, San Damiano, which, uh, which is a, a famous place for Christian pilgrimage. Uh, a family friend stated that Annalise was unable to walk past a crucifix and refused to drink water from a holy spring. The family friend concluded that she must be possessed by a demon, and she reported this to the family. Now, Annalise's behavior continued to worsen as well. She began to do bizarre things like eating insects, drinking her own urine, and inflict self-injury. And her personality changed, so too. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, so that that's the first uh, instance of, like, the the Bear Grylls guy eating insects, <laughs> drinking their own urine. Uh, she was possessed by Bear Grylls. See, They're weird. Huh? I've never seen. I've never <laughs> seen Bear Grylls purposefully hurt himself, but he does things that makes me think he knows that's going to hurt. Right. Well, he goes. Why is he about to do this? He goes out into the <laughs> woods without anything. That's purposefully hurting yourself, right? You, yeah. Put yourself in danger. Why not? <laughs> But uh, as I was saying, her personality changed, too. She became more withdrawn. She changed how she spoke. She even began to speak different languages. And this is what Adam was mentioning mentioning earlier. You know, this this ability to speak a language that you were unfamiliar with. Um, But the family began to believe that she was indeed suffering from a demonic possession. And Annalise herself started to believe that she was possessed and stated that she was possessed by as many as six demons, including Lucifer. Okay. That's crazy. Wow. So her family did what anybody would do at that point. They approached the church and they requested an exorcism, but they were denied and they were told that only the Bishop could approve an exorcism. Now, as Adam mentioned before, you know, to perform the, the Catholic rites of exorcism, there is a set of criteria that had to be met. And even with those criteria are met, the bishop still has to give permission for the exorcism to be done. So at this point, Annalise had started growling, throwing things, and just seemed to be spiraling even further downward. So Michelle and her family met with priest Ernest Alt, who became convinced of her possession and urged Bishop Joseph Stengel to approve the performance of the rites of exorcism. So in September of 1975, Bishop Stengel allowed priest Arnold Rents 
to perform the rite. Now, the exorcisms would continue for nine months, accumulating Man, in that's a, a long time. Yeah. In a total of 67 rites of exorcism with no discernible change. Her parents mm. stopped consulting with doctors. They discontinued her medications and she began to refuse to eat. She became progressively weaker, being unable to move without assistance. Now, Annalise Michelle died in her home on March in March of 1976, with the cause of death being dehydration and malnutrition. So, with, without going into this too much, you, you, can, you can start to see some red flags here that, that make you want mm-hmm. to start thinking maybe this wasn't a case of, of demonic possession. Maybe it was mental illness. And we're going to dig into this um, in a little bit. Um, but it, it is probably the most famous case. And it is a case that that psychiatrists and scientists um, use to further their point of undiagnosed or under undertreated mental illness or improperly treated mental illness uh, can be mistaken in, in especially in in older times for demonic possession. So, like I said, we're going to discuss that more later. Um, but it's it is a very interesting case, and and the the movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, does does kind of go into some details, and of course, it takes a little bit of artistic license with the story as well. Um, but it is a very interesting story, right? And you know, like you said, we'll get into more of it uh, later. But just to touch on it a little bit, um, it, it it's a very very fine line that you walk when you talk about stuff like this because a lot of the symptoms of demonic possession mirror a lot of the symptoms of mental illness exactly or certain types of mental illness exactly Um, so you 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 have to know kind of have to be a professional in a field in order to diagnose is this truly a mental illness or is something else going on well there's a man by the name of richard gallagher and this is no relation to the watermelon smashing guy (laughs) um man i I used to love that guy i know right well this guy doesn't look anything like him so and you know he (laughs) may have a may have a watermelon fixation but i don't know for sure So, Matt, let's talk about tonight's sponsor, Care Of. Now, Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to get the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders for your specific needs. Whether you're looking for the glowing skin or more energy or better sleep, Care Of helps you build and stick to a plan that's right for you. Yeah, and as the kids are going back to school and getting back into their routine, you should get back into the swing of self-care. Are you back into the hectic college, hectic college lifestyle? Make wellness a part of this semester's goal and make it easy to achieve with the help of Care Of. Now you take a short, fun, five-minute quiz and answer easy questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health needs. Now, Amanda and I have both done this. Now, the quiz is easy and it is fun. 
and it lets you know, hey, I'm getting the supplements that are exactly what I need for the goals that I set for myself. Right. And like you said, it is real fun and it is real quick. And after you get done with that, your care of order gets shipped right to your door in convenient daily packs for your busy on the go lifestyle. And care of makes it really easy to see where they source their ingredients from and ensure the highest quality of product. So you know what you're getting in each supplement. And that's very important to know what you're putting in your body. And our listeners can get 25% off their first care of order. And all you've got to do is go to takecareof.com and enter the code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. Yeah. So for 25% off your first care of order, just go to takecareof.com and enter the code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. Well, Richard Gallagher is a board-certified psychiatrist and a professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Medical College. Now, he wrote an article for the Washington Post, and I wanted to read you some of this article because it pertains to the research that Matt has done and will have following this. So let's get into this. He says, in the late 1980s, I was introduced to a self-styled satanic high priestess. She called herself a witch and dressed the part with flowing dark clothes and black eyeshadow around to her temples. And in many of the discussions that I had with her, she acknowledged worshiping Satan as his queen. Now, he says, I'm a man of science and a lover of history. After studying the classics at Princeton, I trained in psychiatry at Yale and in psychoanalysis at Columbia. He said that background is why a Catholic priest had asked my professional opinion, which I offered pro bono about whether this woman was suffering from a mental disorder um, or, you know, or possession. And this was at the height of the national panic about Satanism or, you know, what colloquially the satanic panic. Mm hmm. Um, Now, in a case that helped induce the hysteria, Virginia McMartin and others had recently been charged with alleged satanic ritual abuse at a Los Angeles preschool. The charges were later dropped. So that was kind of, you know, some of the stuff that spurred along that satanic panic that he was talking about. He said, so I was inclined towards skepticism. But my subject's behavior exceeded what I could explain with my training. She could tell some people their secret weaknesses, such as undue pride. She knew how individuals she'd never known had died, including my mother and her fatal case of ovarian cancer. Six people later vouched to me that during her exorcisms, they heard her speaking multiple languages, including Latin, which was completely unfamiliar to her, outside of her trances. This was not psychosis. It was what I can only describe as paranormal ability. I concluded that she was possessed. Much later, she permitted me to tell her story. So he goes on to say that the priest who had asked for my opinion of this bizarre case was the most experienced exorcist in the country at the time, an erudite and sensible man. I had told him that 
even as a practicing Catholic, I wasn't likely to go in for a lot of, quote, hocus pocus. And he replied with, well, unless we thought you were not easily fooled, we would hardly have wanted you to assist us. So basically they're saying that, you know, because he is a skeptic, because he is going to take the hard line scientific approach, they wanted him for that reason, um, which helped their case in the long run. Um, He says, so this began an unlikely partnership. And for the past two and a half decades and over several hundred consultations, I have helped clergy for multiple denominations and faiths to filter episodes of mental illness, which represent the overwhelming majority of cases from literally the devil's work. So he even says right there that, you know, an overwhelming majority of cases of people who say they are demonically possessed are actually some form of mental illness. Mm -hmm. So much in these stories just falls outside of the lines. You know, I mean, you know, we'll talk about some of the things, but there, there are things that if true in the descriptions of what has occurred during um, some of these cases of possession, they just, they don't seem, they don't seem plausible. And so if they really happened, they fall outside of that, scope of well this is this is definitely a, you know a mental illness and not a demonic possession i don't know of a mental illness that would allow you to levitate no and that's something that has happened in a lot of these cases or at least it's reportedly happened so i, I you know I, I just wanted to kind of throw that in i was like you know that I mean, if if we're talking about a thousand cases a year of somebody saying they were possessed by a demon, I mean, may, what? Maybe, you know, ninety eight percent of them are probably poorly treated. That's a guess. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. pull, I'm not pulling any sure. numbers. I'm making these numbers up. You know, fifty fifty percent of all statistics are made up on the fly. <laughs> yeah, and ninety eight percent of people believe him. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on to say that it's an unlikely role for an academic physician, but I don't see these two aspects of my career in conflict. The same habits that shape what I do as a professor and psychiatrist, the open minded open mindedness, respect for evidence, and compassion for suffering people led me to aid in the work of discerning attacks by what I believe are evil spirits and, just as critically, differentiating these extremely rare events from medical conditions. Now, he says, is it possible to be a sophisticated psychiatrist and believe that evil spirits are, however seldom, assailing humans? Most of my scientific colleagues and friends say no, because of their frequent contact with patients who are deluded about demons their general skepticism of the supernatural, and their commitment to employ only standard peer-reviewed treatments that do not potentially mislead or harm vulnerable patients, but careful observation of the evidence presented to me in my career has led me to believe that certain extremely uncommon cases can be explained in no other way other than possession. Now, In closing, for me, he says, 
The Vatican does not track global or countrywide exorcism. But in my experience and according to the priest I meet, demand is rising. The United States is home to about 50 stable exorcists at the moment. Those who have been designated by bishops to combat demonic activity on a semi-regular basis. Now, this is up from 12 a decade ago, according to Reverend Vincent Lampert, an Indianapolis-based priest exorcist who is active in the International Association of Exorcists. Yeah. Um, He apparently gets like 20 inquiries a week now, which is double the number from when he was a bishop, uh, was appointed to him by bishop in 2005. So... You know, we, his inquiries about demonic possession have doubled just in the past decade, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and I, I actually saw an interview. This was um, essentially like um, it was a, a Latin American CNN channel, and this priest was saying that he gets as many as two a week, two requests for exorcism a week. That's insane. Yeah, this guy's getting this guy's getting twenty a week. But this, uh, you know, but that um, that statistic you talk about, we discussed in the uh, in the in the exorcism episode, where the number had risen from twelve to fifty exorcists. You mm-hmm. know, um, but you know, an interesting thing about I, I watched I watched a, a video interview with Doctor Gallagher about what he does in this one particular patient that they, they called Julia um, that, um, that Adam was describing at the beginning of this. Um, he said that the night before he met Julia, his wife and he were getting ready for, to go to bed and they had two cats and these two cats were in the bedroom and they said they began to just act bizarre. You know, the just, way way out of out of character for these two cats you know very nervous and just acting up and and they couldn't they couldn't figure out what in the heck was going on i said it was about 3 a.m and the cats were just going crazy the next day when he meets julia for the first time one of the first things she says to him is hey doc um how how did you enjoy the cats last night now, you know, if it's a guess, that's a dadgum good guess. Right. But it just, you know, that's one of those things that it just, there's no way she could have known that. You know, there's no way. Right. A mental and, illness is not going to cause you to have that kind of information. Right. And, you know, if if she had or if she or the demon that possessed her had any any uh any part in causing those cats to act up you know, that that definitely falls outside of the realm of we can explain this through mental illness um but you know mm-hmm. that interview with dr gallagher is available online and and you can watch it and i mean this is not some crackpot talking about this stuff you know this is a well respected highly educated psychiatrist and mm-hmm. you know he has seen some things that make him question that all of these cases 
are undiagnosed or, you know, poorly treated mental illness. So it it is, it's compelling to, to listen to somebody that is so respected say, listen, you know, I'm not really sure, but I don't have a better explanation for what I saw in these particular cases. So, you know, maybe it's Occam's razor here. You know, if that's the simplest explanation, maybe it is true. Yep, exactly. I, I think is, I, I think if you're, if you're a religious person, not necessarily Christian, just, you know, of any faith, um, somewhere along the lines of the history of, of your faith, there has bound to have been mention of demonic possession. You know, maybe ancient times. So if, you know, if, if we're looking back, you know, like, like Adam mentioned earlier, you know, the, the Bible mentions demonic possession multiple times. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, if you're a believer in the Bible, then you've got to have some inkling that demonic possession is real. It, it happened then. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that it says it's not going to happen ever again. You know, that, uh, that there was some, some, uh, you know, declaration that said, okay, demons, demons are going to quit possessing humans, um, from this point forward, you know, it's, it's outlawed. It's not going to happen anymore. So, um, you know, if you, if you view the Bible as a historical text, which a lot of people do, um, we know that it's happened before. So, you know, is it possible that it's happening now or that it's happened in the last 50 years to produce so many of these cases? You know, I don't know, but, uh, but it's definitely food for thought. Like you were saying, with him being a uh, well-respected psychiatrist, it goes back to what we've talked about before when we talk about like UFO sightings or something like that. When you get a professional like a, a military uh, officer or a policeman or something that's reporting something like that, they're putting their careers on the line to say something. Right. And, you know, it, it kind of makes you a little more willing to believe. So if a psychiatrist is coming out and saying, look, you know, some of these things, although they may be rare in the cases that I see, there are legitimate cases of demonic possession you, you kind of sit up and take note of that a little bit more than you would just, you know, some random TV show about demonic possessions, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, watch. Uh, what's the show? Paranormal Witness. Yeah. You know, and if you watch, if you ever watch that show, you know, demonic possession seemed to be a huge part of that show. It was like every other show was somebody was getting possessed, you know. Um. So Hell, yeah, if you watch Zach Bagans, he's yeah, getting possessed he's every getting possessed episode. all the time, you know. Somebody's like, God, hey, you know. Somebody bring me my earplugs. You know? <laughs> Something's crawling in yeah. me. <laughs> so the, the, the curious thing is that, uh, you know, probably the two most famous movies about demonic possession, as I mentioned earlier, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, the other being The Exorcist were actually based on true stories. We mentioned the story of Annalise Michelle, um, 
But now let's talk about the story behind the movie The Exorcist. Now, the The Exorcist came out in 1974, and it is actually based on a real case. Now, it was based on the case of Roland Doe, a 14-year-old boy, not a girl like in the movie, from Cottage City, Maryland. Now, Roland Doe is not the boy's real name, but was an alias given to him by the Catholic Church to protect his identity. In the late 40s, Roland used a Ouija board to try and contact his late aunt. It was believed that the board was a gateway for a multitude of demons to possess his body. Now, his family began to hear strange sounds around the house, such as scratching, dripping water, and unexplained footsteps. Soon, religious symbols in the house began flying off the walls. Roland started speaking in tongues in a low, growling voice, and his body would contort into unnatural positions. He even was reported to have levitated into the air. So that's the levitation thing. Now, again, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm no psychiatrist. I know very little about mental illness. I know some. But I, I have never come across any illness of any type that would allow you to levitate in the air. Nope. Me either. So, again, if this is true, if this is true and this really happened, how, how do you explain this as being mental illness? Right. Now, Roland's family brought in a priest who performed an exorcism which had to be repeated 30 times before he felt that it was successful. Now, the priest was injured by the boy several times during the process, and those present for the activity reported a sulfuric smell that lingered in the air once it was complete. Now, according to the story, yeah, yeah, according to the story, uh, Roland Doe was actually able to return to a normal life. So. A happy ending, you know, for for this particular story, which, you know, is kind of how the Exorcist movie plays out. You know, they they do take a lot of license with with this story. But, um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Like I said, the Exorcist was the first movie I watched that dealt with this subject and it scared the bejesus out of me. Um, But, you know, the the. They do in the movie touch on a lot of things that the Catholic Church looks for. You know those that superhuman strength, um, mm-hmm. the uh, the speaking of languages. In fact, that was one of the things I remember in that movie that creeped me out the most was the two priests um, are, are listening to a recording of uh, of the demon speaking, and they've got someone there that's kind of analyzing the tape and they, they don't understand it. And they're like, what language is this? You know, we, we can't, we can't make it out. And so he's listening to it and he says, well, it's, it's English. And they said, what are you talking about? And he says, it's backwards. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm like, that just, that just gives me cold chills, you know, but that, that, the speaking of a language and then speaking it backwards leads me into our next story. Now, our next story 
takes place a lot a lot longer uh, in the past. Um, this one goes all the way back to 1960. But this is a very interesting story. This is a story of George Lukens. Now, George was a tailor from Somerset, England, and he was a generally respected member of society. Um, he was performing in a Christmas pageant when an invisible force knocked him several feet through the air. Now, as the story goes, the very next day, George told his friends that his body had been taken over by seven demons under the control of the devil himself. Now, at the time, none of his friends took him seriously. I mean, you know, would you? You know, Adam comes knocking on my door and goes, hey, man, listen, I fell down the steps last night. And now my body is possessed by seven demons. Right. I've been like, okay, you know. <laughs> but uh, but Lukens, Lukens soon began to act really strange. He became very lethargic with every movement he made coming very, very slowly. He became very pale with the color draining from his eyes until they were almost entirely white. He began to have seizures. He would speak in tongues in strange voices that weren't his own. And he would do all of this with this ghastly smile on his face. Now, Lukens report, was reported to have recited the Te Deum backwards in its original Latin. But George did not speak Latin, much less backwards Latin. So the Te Deum was, uh, was a hymn. You know, written in Latin, it was very common practice to sing this hymn uh, during uh, religious services. Uh, and this guy, you know, was singing it backwards. That's wild. So doctors were pretty much baffled. The The medical treatment seemed to do him no good. Sound familiar? Uh, it was 18 years before one Sarah Barber was traveling through town. Good grief. Yeah, I know. 18 years this guy suffered like that. I know. That's insane. Uh, this Sarah Barber was, uh, this lady was traveling through town, and she took an interest in Lucan. So George told her of his plight and that it would take the power of the Trinity invoked by seven men of God to end his suffering. However, he told Barber that this must never happen. So uh, you're like, yeah, oh, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> but at that point, Miss Barber decided, um, yeah, okay, this man needs some help. So she went and spoke to Reverend Joseph Easterbrook. Now, it was felt that George Lucan was a demonic now this is this word is is spelled D A E M O N I C. Now this is something that's mentioned in the very early verses of the Bible. A demonic is not as much an individual possessed by demons as it is a vessel or a gateway for demons to pass through. Hence this is why Lucan was adamant that his suffering could not end as he was keeping the demons trapped inside himself. Ah, oh, okay. So essentially he he is a he is a doorway for demons to pass into our world. And 
if if he is ever exercised, then it releases the demons. And so in his yeah. mind, yeah. he he must continue to suffer to protect the world from these demons. But on Friday, June thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, I mean of all times to do an exorcism. Right. Why in the hell would you I was like, can't this wait till Saturday? Come on. But yeah, June no 13th. Give me a day. That's right. June 13th, 1778, Easterbrook and six other holy men took it upon themselves to perform an exorcism to cast out the demons from Lucan's body. Now, during the procedure, George became violent and began to speak in a powerful voice previously attributed to one of the demons. The voice told the clergyman that Lucan's suffering would be a thousand times worse because of their foolish attempt at an exorcism. However, the holy men felt they were eventually successful, stating that in the end, Lucan called out, Blessed Jesus, and began to laugh. And with his torment apparently over, um, you know, he he was released and, and he was okay. Now, History doesn't really explain what happened to George Lucan in the years to come, so no one is completely sure if the demons were actually gone or if they just led the priests to believe so. Um, you know, so it, this is this is a, a pretty uh, famous story um, because of this idea that he was a demonic. Um, but... Um, but yeah, history just kind of dies off when it comes to whatever happened to this guy after this exorcism. So we don't really know. But what a what a unique story um, about this person not only being possessed, but having to hold these demons inside him to keep them from escaping into the world. Right. And uh, so those last two stories that you told, what strikes me is the the one with the exorcism kid and then this one is after the exorcism they were both pronounced okay and they led a normal life and all that if it were a mental illness that wouldn't happen and we would probably see a case a lot like the Annalise Michelle case where they they die or you know nothing changes for them but if there is an improvement after an exorcism, that kind of leads me to believe that it wasn't necessarily a mental illness right. that was causing the issues. Right. So, as we promised, let's let's dig into this a little bit. Um, instead of just speculating, is it mental illness or is it demonic possession? We're we're gonna give you we're gonna give you some more information. Um, so you can kind of decide on your own what you think about this. Um, now, in the case of demonic possession, science believes, as we've been talking about, that either undiagnosed, uncontrolled, or ineffectively treated mental illness is to blame. Although all cases of demonic possession certainly aren't as easily dismissed due to reports of feats of supernatural abil- abilities, um, such as levitation. Many scientists feel that behaviors of people believed to be suffering from demonic possession mimic those of known psychiatric disorders. Now, Dr. Hassan Tohid, a neuroscientist, medical doctor, 
and founder of the California Institute of Behavioral Neurosciences and Psychology, took on the most famous case of Annalise Michelle in a TEDx talk published May 9th of this year. Now, in his presentation, Tahid explains that the behaviors that Michelle exhibited can be explained by the signs and symptoms of Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID, which was previously known Mm -hmm. in the DSM as Multiple Personality Disorder. Now, many neuroscientists believe that the cause of DID is typically severe trauma as a child, including but not limited to physical abuse, sexual abuse, and severe neglect. Tahid goes on to explain that DID is also associated with many other psychiatric conditions, including major, major depression, generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and substance abuse disorder. So, Tahid describes modern studies where the brains of female DID patients were studied revealing a reduction in activity in the hippocampus and the amygdala areas. Now, the hippocampus is associated with long-term memory, and the amygdala is associated with emotions. So this study may explain why DID patients forget events from the other personality and why they can become overly aggressive. So what Tohid is saying is in olden times, we did not have the ability to study the human brain like we do now. And so the cases of demonic possession could have been attributed to conditions such as dissociative identity disorder because it was not well understood and there was no way to examine the brain of an individual to determine that they indeed would have a condition that would manifest these type of behaviors. Mm -hmm. So he takes this information and he uses it to try to explain Annalise Michelle's case. So he goes on to say that functional MRI studies show that in DID patients, now functional MRI is where they can actually see what part of the brain is, is working and active, you know, in, in a human. And these functional MRIs showed that in patients with DID, there is reduced blood flow and the orbitofrontal cortex, which is associated with decision-making. Neuroscientists believe that this explains why DID patients experience a loss of control of impulses. So, you know, let's, let's think about the cases that we've talked about tonight, you know, where you speak in other languages or in a different voice that's unlike your own. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it does appear that there are, are in some cases, two separate individuals trapped inside one body, one of the demon and one of the one possessed. Um, you know, the, the, the possessed may not have recollection of what the demon may have done or said while they were taking over. Okay, so those kind of behaviors 
could possibly be explained by these conditions. So, right, and the loss of uh, loss of control, or basically your inhibitions, um, where you don't know what you should and shouldn't do. Right. That could explain the spitting and the cursing and stuff like that. And everything that's else. also right. apparently associated with demonic. Right. To me, you know, I'm like, okay, I can, I can get behind this. I can get behind this. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to me that it would explain things like this aversion to religious artifacts. Um, you know. No, not necessarily. Un- un- maybe. Unless... Unless part of this mental illness is the idea that you are indeed demonically possessed, that you have that thought in your own mind because you can't explain what's going on with you. We're going to touch on that here in a minute. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know why it would just be limited to, you know, a crucifix or holy water or a religious site, anything like that. Why you would necessarily think, OK, I'm I, I have an averse reaction to, you know, to, to this stuff in particular because I have DID or another psychiatric diagnosis. But but check these out. This is this is what I really loved about this. Tahid cites different cases of DID, including a study in 2015 on a German woman who lost her vision at age 20. She was determined to have over 10 personalities. She was blind for 13 years. With psychiatric treatment, one of her personalities regained the ability to see. So the other ones were still blind. But one of her personalities regained regained her vision. And this was not fake blindness. Wow. He explains that, um, you know, her blindness had been confirmed by electrophysiological studies. So at the time, she was actually blind. Now, with continued treatment, all of her personalities eventually regained their vision. So, hmm. Well, you know, it it's like part of what sight is, if your eyes are actually working, they capture the image and then it transfers it to your brain as an electrical signal, right. which then transfers it into an image that you see. So if there is a mental disorder that is blocking that neurotransmission of the electricity into part of your brain, you could go blind Right. But then your other personality from another part of your brain doesn't have that same misfire. So you could see. And that act, it, as wild as it is, that actually makes sense when yeah. you break it down into how vision works. Uh huh. Try this one on. So another case Tahid presents was of a man discussed in a book by Tony Robbins, the, the uh, motivational speaker. This man had uh, had two personalities. One had diabetes and the other one didn't. When the non-diabetic personality took okay, over... I've got nothing for that. His blood glucose would go down. <laughs> I, 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 now, the thing is, is this sounds like a great story, but this is stuff that you can actually see and measure. So, I mean, right, it, 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 it's... I'm just <laughs> baffled. I don't know how that works. Right. 
Like, holy cow. So, yeah, another one was of a young boy named Timmy who had an allergy to orange juice, which would cause him to break out in hives. When his other personality was present, the hives would disappear. You know, he also mentioned cases where people would actually change their eye color based on the personality that was in control. So. Wow. So what this says to me, what these cases say to me is the brain can do some amazing things that we don't fully understand. Absolutely. And so if your brain can change your eye color or cause you to no longer be allergic to orange juice or cause your blood sugar to go down because you're no longer diabetic, what else is it possible to do? I mean, if it can do that much, then I feel like it could it could really do some things that would make someone go, this guy is possessed by a demon. Sure. And I know you're out there going, okay, Matt, thanks for the science lesson, but what the hell does this actually prove? Well, it, it, it may not prove anything, or it may prove everything. Th- this may be the breakthrough that says, listen, demonic possession is nothing but a myth. And these are all cases of severe DID or a combination of DID and other psychiatric diagnosis. Sure. But again, I I can get behind a lot of these cases being misdiagnosed or, you know, ill-treated mental illness or, you know, completely misunderstood mental illness. But not all of them just seem to fit into that. So some of them are still very difficult to explain. But this is what I love about what Dr. Tahid said. So he goes on to say that if DID is in fact caused by a severe underlying trauma, wouldn't labeling these individuals suffering as demonically possessed only serve to isolate them exacerbate their trauma and push them further away from the real treatment that they need says, you know, I put on here, you know, I've got to say that even in this modern era of medicine and with the job that I do, there are so many factors that prevent people from that are suffering, not just from DID, but from a multitude of mental illnesses from getting adequate treatment. You know, it is likely that the, large number of cases of demonic possession could be due to mental illness. But like I said, I don't think science can explain all of them. No. You know, but maybe maybe it explains Annalise Michelle's situation. Mm-hmm. I I mean her parents her parents gave up on doctors and they just relied on these exorcisms. So did they just did they did they allow their daughter to just suffer for the last nine months of her life, um, eventually dying of malnutrition and dehydration or, or was there something more going on? You know, um, you know, we, we would, we would hope that through all of those exorcisms, we would have seen an, an improvement. And honestly, it's not ever documented that they did. In fact, um, 
the two priests involved and Annalise's parents were actually prosecuted for negligent homicide. Right, right. And found guilty. So, you know, the the courts at the time didn't believe it. Um, but what do you believe? You know, do you, do you believe, you know, this story? Do you believe any of these? Do, do you believe the story of Roland Doe that inspired the Exorcist movie? Do you think that, you know, there there was a chance? Like I said earlier, you know, if... You know, if if you believe, you know, religious texts, not just the Bible, um, that speak of demonic possession, um, then then you believe that it happened at one point in in the history of the world. Uh, what's to say it, it couldn't happen now? But um, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult subject, and like I said, in in some cases, it's absolutely terrifying. Right. But it it's. It's amazing, and I, and I love the fact that Tawheed said, you know, labeling people as demonically possessed, wouldn't, wouldn't that just make things that much worse for them? Oh, sure, and, and yeah. Putting that, putting that inkling inside their brain to go, we think you're possessed by a demon, and now you believe it? Now you think, well, maybe I am, and people are telling you, you know, you just, I mean, you just attacked this guy. You know, you were just speaking Latin. You know, you just, you just urinated on the floor. And, you know, you were, you know, you were screaming things about God and the devil and all this stuff. And you're going, what? I had, I had no idea. I must be possessed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that would make it worse. And, would make you possibly seek out the wrong treatment for your condition. So I don't know. I don't know. What's your take on it? You know, that I, I like the, I like his explanations on what the different DID cases he's seen because that helps you understand you know, a, a lot of the attributes that are put on demonic possession and how they can be something in your brain without a scientific professional coming out and telling you that you may not think that any of that's possible. Like the, the guy whose blood sugar changes, you know, that the more I think about it, I can kind of see how that would work kind of along the same lines of, the being blind and then not being blind because it is just your brain telling something to pump out more insulin and maybe in another personality, your brain isn't telling your body to produce that much insulin. But in some of those other cases, it it just doesn't make sense how that can happen. So I think that shows that there's, like you said, a lot more that the brain can do than we are aware of and a lot more things that maybe we need to look into and try to research and study. And we might be able to determine whether or not demonic possession is legit at that point when mm-hmm. we start understanding the brain a little bit more. Right. Um, but like Matt said, you know, let us know what you think. Uh, hop on our Facebook group and tell us. That's where a lot of these discussions happen. And if you're not in the Graveyard Tales Facebook group, you'll miss out on a lot of that. So That's right. get in there and let us know what you think. 
um, you know, tell us if you believe the cases are legitimate, are some of them legitimate, are none of them legitimate. Let us know and, you know, let's have that discussion because this is a really interesting topic. Yeah. And um, and be sure and check us out on other social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And like I said, Adam is the is the chief tweeter around here. Um, but uh, go to our website. It's it's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can find uh, links to listen to the show, links to purchase our merchandise. You can find out a little more about Adam and myself. And you can become a patron. And uh, every show, we like to thank all the, all the folks that have uh, donated their hard-earned money. Um, we take that and put it right back into the show to make better content for you. Uh, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It's so important because it brings us up the charts. Uh, it makes Adam and I feel good, but it uh, it allows people to find us easier, and uh, it brings more people into the graveyard. So um, we want to thank our sponsor for tonight's show, uh, Care-of. Uh, we appreciate uh, uh, them uh, putting their advertising dollars our way. Uh, so uh, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. I, I told that joke to Michael and because he's a big Mario fan and uh-huh. he went and told it all day the next day to all of his friends and he gets in the car and goes, everybody liked the denim joke. He's like, <laughs> what, what kind of pants does Luigi wear? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, me either. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>